But I thought it appropriate that we just continue on in our passage and see the motivation for service and what should motivate and encourage all of us in our service of the Lord. And it's in our passage today, so it fits, as I didn't finish last week, so we'll just keep going. It might take me a while to get through this section because I can't preach as long today, so, but I think it'll be encouraging to you. What an amazing passage we are in today, and I hope that you will all be encouraged. As Paul was trying to encourage Timothy, he encourages him with a topic that we talked about, actually a theme or a subject that we talked about in Sunday school again today. In God's providence, he has Sunday school matching exactly what I'm preaching. So hopefully Stephen and I aren't stepping on each other's toes, but it has worked out very well. We're the one-two punch. If you have any doubt about election and God's providential work in salvation, come to Sunday school, you'll get the first punch, and then come back here and I'll give you the second punch. And by the end, you will be convinced from the scriptures that God is sovereign over salvation, because that's what we see in scripture I'm going to affirm with Stephen that I'm going to slow down and because I like the subject, and it's okay. Uh, it's a great passage and a great thought. My prayer is, is that every one of you will leave today encouraged by the glory of God in salvation and the grace of God that is in, found in salvation. I think it's interesting that Paul is speaking to Timothy who is the pastor, one of the pastors in Ephesus, where he had already written a few years previously Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians, and it has all these same doctrines. So he's repeating the same things that he said in the book of Ephesians to Timothy on his deathbed, as, G as Paul is on his deathbed, telling Timothy, reminding him of these truths. And so you might ask, well, why do we preach about the sovereignty of God so much? Well, take it up with God, because he talks about it in his scriptures a lot. Because he wants him, us to know, the believers to know, that we're saved by grace, not by ourselves. Not because we're something special, but because he's great, and we need these truths. This would be encouraging for anybody that's suffering. This would be encouraging for anybody that's facing any trials. This would be encouraging for anybody that was going to lose his mentor, that was going to die, and he's going to be left to carry the torch. How do I know I'm going to make it? How am I going to do this? The answer is God is sovereign. Trust him. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy, his son in the faith. Remember the glory of the gospel, Timothy. Paul started the letter by expressing his gratitude to God for Timothy. Then Paul moves to exhort Timothy to action in light of the gospel and the power of God at work in Timothy. Just to review, last week we talked about the three primary exhortations that Paul gives to Timothy to remember. So we'll ex continue our examination of these three imperatives for every disciple of Jesus that we should joyfully obey in light of the gospel we know and love. We started last week with we must use our God-given gifts by the work of God in us in verses 6 and 7. We saw that in verses 6 and 7 that Paul encouraged Timothy to use the gift of God given to him. This was given to him at the time of Paul's commissioning of Timothy. 
the laying on of his hands. Paul said, use the gift by the Spirit of God. Use God's gift in you by the Spirit who is producing power, love, and wise self-discipline. Not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit that's powerful, that's working in every single believer. So the question for all of us, we preached this last week, we talked to you last week, you heard it, how'd you do? Did you use your spiritual gift this week, this past week? Well, no, Pastor Mike, I had too many things going on with Thanksgiving, I couldn't use my spiritual gift. Hopefully not, right? Were you able to serve your brothers and sisters? Were you ever able to spread the truth to others? Were you able to encourage the brokenhearted? Spread the gospel around your community? Were you using your spiritual gifts this week? Well, I've got good news for you. If you didn't, there's another week coming. <laughs> Unless the Lord returns, right? We can share the good news. We can use our spiritual gifts. Let's step up and use them. All of us, right? There's opportunities. By the way, it doesn't just mean that you had to be in the church building to share your gift. You could have done it in your home when you hosted people. But let's all use our spiritual gifts this week. Next, we saw the true believer must unashamedly sacrifice for the gospel by the work of God in us. In verses 8 to 12. In this section... We will see again, and we got about halfway through this command last week. I want to dive in here again, and I want to think on this, and I want to meditate on this, and I want hopefully it to sink deep within your soul that all of us will be motivated and encouraged to go out and use our spiritual gifts and not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus, to proclaim Him, to stand boldly and courageously and share the truth with others. This is a great time of the year, isn't it? This is the time where we all get to talk about Jesus and people don't think that we're totally out of our minds. Well, they still do. But we get to. You even walk through stores and you get to hear. Now, when you hear those songs going and playing the Hallelujah Chorus, start singing. (laughs) Sing loudly with it. And when they say, what are you doing? I'm singing with the song that's playing. Can I tell you what it's about? It's about our Savior that came into the world. This is the time for us to announce the good news of Christ to the world and be unashamed of the testimony of Jesus, right? Paul was calling Timothy to be bold and courageous for Christ. Paul said to Timothy, Don't let the world's corrupt view of Jesus And my own imprisonment be a stumbling block to you, Timothy. Step up, be unashamed, and share the truth. Jesus had told his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in glory, in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Paul explained to the, that while he longed to preach the gospel to the thriving church in Rome, in Romans 1.16, he said, Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then in 2 Timothy, look down in 1.16, Paul will praise God for Onesiphorus' Because the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. In other words, he saw Paul in this circumstance and he wasn't ashamed to go ahead and say, I associate with this man that's in jail for the gospel. The apostle Peter will commend this unashamed commitment to Christ. In all circumstances, in 1 Peter 4, 16, he says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. There is no room for us being ashamed of Christ. Right? Let's share him. Being associated with a criminal, especially one who was condemned by the Roman government, was not an easy relationship to embrace. Paul was exhorting Timothy to step up and not let what others thought of being a follower of Jesus determine how he was going to use his spiritual gift. Listen, folks. Popularity, prosperity, and temporary fleshly pleasures must not be a factor in whether we are faithful to proclaim Christ. We can't worry about whether people like it or not, or like us or not, or whether that means we have to give up something. Jesus is worth laying down our lives, isn't he? After all, Jesus had suffered a shameful death on a cross for us. But the truth of Jesus' death is glorious, isn't it? It's the truth that gets me up here. That's why I'm here. It's the truth for why we keep going here. It's because of Christ and what he did for us. And Paul's reflection on the testimony of Jesus gave him an opportunity to launch into a rehearsal of the gospel message. That's what he does right here. In the middle of 8, 1, 8 to 12, he says, you know what? I just want to talk about the gospel again. And he takes a break and he says, let me focus in on the gospel. So that's what we're going to do today. Look at it. In the middle of 8 to 12, he states, Who has saved us? Talking of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. I want to focus in on Paul's explanation of God's power on display in every true Believer found in the middle of this paragraph. Just this one section. I think this is the motivation for our new deacons. I think this is the motivation for every new believer. I, be, I think this is the motivation for everyone who knows and loves Christ. These words should light our hearts on fire. 
These are the things that should cause us to be willing to be cursed or shamed or whatever to stand firm for God. If you understand this truth, it is why we do what we do if we're a real believer. So let's walk down through these amazing truths. Some of it we talked about last week, but I think it's good to rehearse it and think on it again. Let's walk down. First, who has saved us? Who has saved us? Again, the word saved is thrown around in the Christian community and circles all the time. Sadly, I'm concerned very few professing Christians even know what the word saved really means. What does it mean to be saved? Many think it's just fire insurance. It means I prayed this prayer when I was a kid, and so that means I'm going to heaven when I get, die. It's just a fire insurance. But to be saved means much more than this. It means to be delivered from the controlling influence of sin and the just penalty for sin. I'll give you a good definition. This will lay it out for you. To be saved. To be saved. Where did it go? It's not there. Go back. Don't you love it? Try to do something fancy and look what happens. I'm going back. Somebody told me, why do you always do black with white letters? So I try to do something different and of course... It's worse. And it's gone. Okay, you ready? Who, ha oh, there it is. It's part of it is because I can't see it either. There we go. Who has saved us? To be saved means God has delivered us from the power and penalty of sin. We are no longer in bondage to sin because the Spirit of God has worked in our hearts to cause us to love God, not the things of the world. If you're saved, you're no longer in the power and penalty of sin. We are no longer stuck in sin wanting what the world wants. If you're saved, you don't want what the world wants. So we are delivered from the power of sin. But also, to be saved means we are delivered from the penalty of sin. And it's very important that you get this. And I want you to understand, being saved isn't just, it isn't only about positionally being right with God. It also includes something miraculous, supernatural that's happened in your life. You are changed. Your desires have been changed. God has delivered us from bondage to sin, and now we want to serve Him. We love Him. We enjoy Him. We are delivered from the power of sin. But it also means we are delivered from the penalty of sin. We are no longer walking under the wrath of God presently. We are actually in good fellowship with God, and God is not angry at us anymore. God, we have this abiding, enjoying relationship with Him. We are no longer handed over to our lustful passions, like Romans 1, 18 to 32 talks about. 
We are in a new, thriving relationship with God. What He wants is what we want. We want Him glorified. We want to serve Him. We want to enjoy Him. And we are headed for eternity with God. We are no longer facing the judgment we deserve for sin. This is what it means to be saved, beloved. It's not just checking a thing and getting out of hell. It's a relationship. We're delivered from the power and penalty of sin. Many people say they're saved, but few really even know what being saved means. Being saved in first, is first and foremost an act of God in a person's life. We can't save ourselves. We can't get us out of the power and penalty of sin. I can't do it. I couldn't do it. God takes over our hearts and our lives. We become His children. We are on a new path that looks dramatically different from the world's. Christians who are saved, true believers, we look different because God has saved us. We love God more than the world, don't we? All Christians, we say, I would much rather God than anything in this world, right? I just want Him. I just want to know Him more. I want to enjoy Him. I want to proclaim Him. That's what being saved is. You say, Mike, I've heard this before. Great! You should be rejoicing. Believers, do we rejoice in this truth? We love God because He first loved us. The power of sin is no longer my master. Isn't that good news? Jesus is my master, my Lord, my all. If I die for Him, it would be a great thing. Take me now. This is the Bible's explanation of salvation. Being saved. If you are saved, you obey God. Because He delivered you from sin's power. And you are headed for heaven because of what Jesus did for you. So the natural question, the easy question. I don't know everybody in this room. There's several here that I don't know. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you been delivered from the power and penalty of sin? Is Christ your Lord and Savior? For us who are saved... In this room, you're all in here saying, I'm glad he's saying that. Aren't you? Paul reminds Timothy that we are saved. You are saved by God. Then he says, God also called us. Called us with a holy calling. Called us with a holy calling. Again, another Christian word that is often used but rarely understood. Called us? What is Paul speaking about? Called. Well, there's two types of calls in the Bible. There is a call that is associated with the spoken word. This call is the general call. It is an exhortation that is made to people at various points in the Bible. 
often when we share the gospel, it is a general call. I just did a little bit of a general call right there, didn't I? A couple of examples are Joshua 24, 15, when Joshua announced to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. It's a general call to all the people. He said, choose this day who you will serve. Or an example, Jesus announced to the city who had rejected him, even though he had done miracles in that city. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a general call. Come to me. Another general call is Paul and the, Paul's words to the Athenians. He says in Acts 17, 30, it says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed. Having furnished proof, to all men by raising him from the dead. This was a general call, and he said, calling all men everywhere to repent. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. These are examples of a general call. Guess what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to give another general call. Listen closely. Everybody in this room, I'm sure that there is at least... Some in here that are not saved. I'm convinced of that because I've seen it over the time that I've been in ministry. I've seen it over and over and over. People that say, well, I've heard about Christ. I've walked. I've done these things, but I wasn't truly repentant. I had not really believed in Christ. Listen to me. Maybe right now you know that you're in bondage to sin. Maybe you know that you are worthy of God's just judgment. Maybe God is working in your heart to confront you and convict you of your sin. Here's a general call for you. You ready? God has provided a Savior for mankind. His name is Jesus Christ. He came into the world. He is and was and will always be God. But he became a man. He lived a perfect, holy, righteous life. He obeyed the Father perfectly, whereas we don't. He then was crucified on a cross. He died, was buried, rose three days later. He is now alive bodily. He ascended to the Father. And one day he is going to return to judge the world. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ paid for sin. Jesus Christ is our all in all. He's our hope because we are sinful people. Here's the call. Repent and believe in Him. Turn to Christ. Trust Him. He is good. You say, Mike, you are hammering this today. Yes, because I'm unashamed of the gospel. 
I know that He is my hope and He is your hope. Everybody in this room, and I don't care how many times you've gone to church, I don't care how many times you've heard that message, if you have not repented and believed, today is the day. I'm calling you, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, come to Christ. He's your hope. If you will turn from your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior, you will be saved. You need to go to God and cry out to Him to save you. And you need to trust in Jesus to change you and save you. That's the general call. You just saw one. That's not what Paul was talking about. Paul was talking about the second calling. The effectual calling of God. You say, what? what's, what's the effectual calling of God? This is God's supernatural work in the person to woo them to God. Woo them to himself. God always works through the message of the gospel, the general call, to call effectually people. The effectual call is the Spirit's miraculous work in the heart of spiritually dead people. An effectual call happens when a person gets it. Oh, I understand now. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need to turn to Him and embrace Him. An effectual call happens when we understand, we realize our sinful ways. When we realize how much we need God. When we realize how much we are continually sinning and we need Him every day, all the time. I need Him. The lights come on. And that person can do nothing but turn to God from their sin. Paul calls it a holy calling. A set-apart calling. A calling away from sin and world to, to follow and obey God. So did this calling include a calling into ministry full-time? Well, it can, but it doesn't have to be. In Paul's case, at his salvation, he was also called into ministry at the same time. Right? However, I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the salvation call, the effectual call... So what would be an example of an effectual call? Well, I can't do that. I can't effectually call. I just gave the gospel the general call. I admit there have been numerous times when I've thought, man, I wish I had the power to just make it work in people's hearts. Anybody thought that? Man, I wish I could just make it happen. <laughs> Please. Make these people fall on their face and say, I need Christ. Anybody thought that before? But that's up to God. God does that. But an example might be this. When I was giving the general call, and you heard it, and you were sitting there going, grappling in your heart, hey, he's talking to me. This is about me. I have a sin problem. I need a Savior. You're becoming aware, you're aware of your need of Christ at that moment. God is working. You realize that you've been your own master. You've done everything you wanted to do. But you haven't submitted to Christ. 
And you know you're at that place and, and you're being convicted and you're like, if I could get out of this room right now and just cry out to God so nobody would see me, you'd do it. And you're thinking, oh, I need God right now. I need Him. That could be God working in your heart effectually to cause the gospel message to penetrate your soul. If it's an effectual call, guess what you will do? You will turn to Christ, and you will embrace Him. You will love Him, and you will commit your life to Him. You will turn from your sin. I'll never forget when I got saved. It was six weeks of pounding. I heard the gospel. I heard that I was a sinner. I heard the truth of who Jesus was. And I remember sitting there going, He's talking to me. He's talking to me. There's 700 people in this room. He's talking to me. I know this is me. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. I'm the one that needs a savior. And I remember the effectual call. When it all went, oh, <laughs> Christ, he came for me. He died for me. He loves me. I want, oh, Lord, forgive me. I did so much. Please forgive me. I'm such a sinner. Oh, God, thank you for Christ. That was the time. There was nowhere I wanted to go other than to him. I loved him. He was the greatest joy in my life. I'll never forget the nap I took that afternoon after that service. I slept like I had never slept in my life. There was drool hanging out of me when I woke up. Why? Because the burden of my sin, all of that burden was hanging on me. It just, whoop, gone. Christ paid it all. I'll never forget. I know my brother remembers. I called him immediately. You've got to come to church. You've got to hear this message. I think it was that day I drove down, picked him up and mom up. They were two hours away. I drove them back up so they could see me get baptized. Because there was nothing I could do. God had effectually worked in my heart. Christ was my all in all. Jesus was everything to me. And I didn't want to do anything but to see my family come to know Him. That's what effectual call does. It makes a guy that despised God love God. Has God called you? Maybe you're sitting here going, well, I wish you'd work at me like that. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Maybe you're thinking that. I got good news for you. It might be effectively calling you right now. Turn to him. Embrace the savior. He's good. He's good. God is working in you. Confess your sins. Trust Christ. Delight yourself in Him. 
You will not be disappointed, I promise. He is the source of all joy. He is where true peace is found. So Paul now exhorts, explains that you were saved and called by God. Wait a second. If we are believers in Jesus, if God has saved us, if we heard the general call and responded in faith because of his effectual call, then we are God's. But why did he save us? Why did he save us? Why did he save anybody in this room that's a true believer? Why? Why did he choose me, this wretched sinner? Why me? Was it because he saw something special in Mike Sprott? Was it because he knew we had, we had it in us? <laughs> Mike had something in him. I think I'm going to choose him. Was it because he saw some acts of kindness that I had did before I was saved? That I had been kind and done some kind things to people? Was it because, I, hey, I, I had arthritis when I was a kid, rheumatoid arthritis, and I had suffered. So, hey, you know what? I feel sorry for this guy that had suffered a little bit. I think I'll choose him. He's gone through a hard life. So I'm going to choose him because he had rheumatoid arthritis and his joints were big as tomatoes and he suffered. Was it because he saw me trying to go to church? Was it because he saw us treat our friends with respect and kindness? Answer? No. 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 Look what Paul says. God saved us and effectually called us not according to our works. God does not save people because of what they do. God does not save us because of our good works or because of who we are or because we have something special in us. God doesn't save us because we're better than our neighbors. God doesn't save us because we're Americans. God doesn't save us because of any of that. If we are saved, if we are effectually called, God has saved us for one reason. For His purpose and His glory alone. He picked sinners like me and you for His glory and His purpose. Nothing we can do can save us. Nothing in us deserves salvation. If God was working in you when I gave you the gospel, it wasn't because you deserve to be saved. It wasn't because you're worthy of being saved. How many of you in the room, you better get this right, Christian, are worthy of being saved? Raise your hand high. Oh, good. Nobody did. Because if not, I was going to call you out. <laughs> we are lost people without Christ. Every one of us in here deserves hell for eternity, don't we? But God, according to His own purpose and grace, 
his unmerited favor, and his independent free will. He chooses us. His predetermined plan, his will, his choice. It wasn't your work, it was his work. As Ephesians 1 4 states, it was by him, right? That he chose us before the foundation of the world. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So I, I preached a whole message on one verse. Got it. Why? Why? This is the heart of what we do, right? This is the motivation for all that we do. You say, well, Mike, I don't get up and preach like you do. What, what should I do with this truth? Well, this truth should be just as much motivation to get up in mon on Monday and go do your job. This truth should be the same motivation that causes you to serve one another. It's the same thing that Paul is saying to Timothy. Look, these gospel truths, these foundational doctrines should change your life. This should be everything to you. And it should make you unashamed to stand up and say it. So no, you might not all be becoming a deacon today. But you're all who have trusted in Christ, his children. And you should be motivated the same way, shouldn't you? Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners like me and you. Let's go serve our king. Amen. 